Hello and welcome to Gravitas Wins Conversations. I'm your host, Joseph Jude. I'm honored and privileged to have Major General Neeraj Bali, a SENA medal recipient, as a guest. With his vast experience, he has written a book, The Winning Culture. Mr. Suresh calls it as a culture-building toolkit for CEOs and CXOs. And I completely agree. This is not a theory book. General has explained every point with so many real-life stories. And I've been looking forward to this particular interview. I hope you enjoy as well. Before we get into the interview, can I request you to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and share the podcast with your fellow business leaders. Hello, General Neeraj. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Joseph. You said you've been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a very long time since we got connected because I'm quite inspired by the things you do. So it's the feeling is mutual. Thank you. Thank you, sir. There's a lot we can learn from the just the first chapter. And I have marked a lot of notes there. You write culture matters. Can you explain why that would be so? Why culture matters? And, and before that, what is culture? All right. Let me start with a story because I have often been accused of my, by my friends to be a storyteller. In, back in 2016 or 17, I was speaking at the IIM Ahmedabad. And at the end of the talk, one young lady got up and asked me the question. She said, you guys in the army come from the same background as us. You have the same parenting, same education, same financial anxieties, same small town upbringing. What changes so much that you're willing to die without there being a bonus at the end of the year? In the army, there is no bonus at the end of the year. There's no appraisal for that kind. So I know the answer. Though every time I ask the same question from any audience, the answer they give is, oh, you guys are more patriotic you're more dedicated or things like that, you're more passionate. Those are absolutely incorrect answers. I never heard the word patriotism in the army and I served 40 years. Not once did I hear anyone say we are patriotic. We are as patriotic as anybody else outside. The correct answer to this question, Joseph, is that every organization, every club, every company, every political party, every family has a culture. Culture is what we collectively do. It's mm. not what we say. Is mm. what we all collectively do because we perceive it works for us. And that culture silently and powerfully moves us in a certain direction and makes us do things. Not to run down anybody, but go to a government office which is, say, sluggish. There is a certain culture mm. because that is what is working for them. They're not going to show you your file because it works for them. No one's going to punish them or reward them for not doing it. But you go to a private sector bank, the issues are going to be different. So I realized that I had been blessed to have been in an organization which is entirely driven by its robust culture, something it inherited from the British and then tweaked it to the Indian requirements. And it is that culture which made ordinary people do extraordinary things all mm. the time. And people wonder why they do it. So I decided that I think there is a case for focusing more on culture and perhaps learning some universal lessons that the army instinctively knows, which probably people can learn from outside. I, I completely agree with you. The reason being, I, I lead a business unit 
and there is a there is a feeling which comes often that you set up goals and at the end of the period you have a disappointment that that strategy didn't work and you write culture aligned with strategy is the force multiplier and you st- you also start with saying that culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast, strategy for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. okay and until yeah. i read that until i read that i didn't understand the importance of culture so ca- can we talk about how culture can support strategies and also mitigate the imperfect ones all right so <clears throat> i began by saying that from peter drucker's famous saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast unless the culture of your company organization is aligned to the strategy you are making you can make any fancy strategies you like you see we love the sound of the word strategy all of yes. us love to strategize and you know it somehow makes us feel lofty in any case you have to have a strategy but it is my experience and i think the experience of a lot of people you can make any strategy you like but if the culture of your organization doesn't support it it will not work there are examples that are tremendous very many now without being biased towards one airline or the other is there a reason why indigo can genuinely claim to be on time most of the time what is the rocket science that any others can't copy hmm. the fact of the matter is i have studied indigo in detail and there are six pages on indigo in chapter 8 of my book and i realized that it is not just about being in time by flying aircrafts it is a culture they have built mm. a culture of being on time in everything they do and they push it right so let's take let's take a larger example let's take the example of indian army mm. the indian army fought two wars where arguably we didn't have any great strategy 1962 we were pushed into a war and the sri lanka experience where mm. we just landed up there hoping to be peacekeepers but in actual fighting a war right one of the units which landed there first time 13 sikhalai lost 68 people in a matter of days and they had gone there thinking they were only supposed to do peacekeeping so we really didn't have a strategy even minus a strategy the indian army didn't run they stood mm. and fought nobody mourned nobody protested nobody deserted because the culture doesn't allow you to do that Conversely, mm. Pakistanis, I think, had a brilliant strategy in Kargil. Come and occupy the vacant posts. Come summers, nobody can attack up the hills, and uh, the world will jump in, and there will be no war, and the line of control will move forward. They did not think about the culture of the Indian Army. More so, their own culture is so different. And I'll take a moment to describe that. Not because Pakistanis are our enemies or something. I'm just saying, making a very professional point. I have served with Pakistani officers. I have attended a study program in US with them, and I did realize that they have now become different. Their culture is different. It's a culture of arrogance. It's a culture of running a country. So when General Musharraf decided on Kargil war, he didn't think it right to inform even his prime minister or any other top generals or even the naval chief or the air force chief. There was no coordination, and when they fought the war, they refused to accept their dead. They said, "These are not our people." Mm. That's a culture. Contrast that with what happened in India. Mr. Vajpayee was meeting all the three chiefs every single day. There was complete coordination, and we will never leave a person dead or alive or injured behind in the battlefield. Later in the story talk, I may even tell you a very stunning story about it. But that's what it is. So unless you have a great strategy, you, if you are running an airlines, say Kingfisher, and you say 
our strategy is to be austere, to cut cost. But then your culture is of celebrating birthdays with 90 lakh rupees or jumping out of jet aircraft all the time. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So it's not the beautiful things you say in the boardroom or the lovely posters you splash on the walls or every CEO or the MD, I mean, you are, you are a business head. I've been a CEO twice. Everyone says we are customer centric. We are human centric. We are employee centric. These are words. It is what you do. And what mm. you do becomes your culture. And that culture then trumps even strategy. I ended that chapter or somewhere in the chapter I've written my own little thing. I said, culture and strategy should have breakfast together. <laughs> true. Very true. Very true. Now, let's talk about the Indian Army because one of the things that I really liked in this particular book is, yes, you're spending a lot of time on Indian Army, but then as you said, you're also talking about Indigo. So all of the examples are from India. and you can you can kind of relate to that relate to all of these examples now when we are talking about indian army it has already been there for a very long time there is a there is a pride that is already there there's a lot of heroes that you can look up to role models that you can look up to but let us say for example i'm starting a company or i want to change a culture i, I have listened to this particular podcast i want to start a culture how can i create the elements that instill pride and look at this particular culture. What are the elements? How can I get started about it? Okay. Great question. Uh, you probably hit the nail on the head that culture is not something very easy to change. It takes a long time. This business of building pride and so on and so forth takes time. We cannot impatiently wrestle with this animal and tame it, uh, you know, in one stroke. We, it, it takes a lot of time. And therefore, sometimes new leaders who take up old old enterprises find it very hard to change culture. But let's talk about pride for a minute. First of all, people feel proud of an organization, A, which makes them feel safe. Please remember that. Psychologically safe, where they feel like coming for the job, where they feel I'm not going to lose my work, where they feel the boss is going to appraise us correctly at the end of the year, where they feel that come COVID, he will take care of us, where they feel, you know, in, in ups and downs, he's not going to throw us under the bus. The first and foremost is the leadership example that makes people start feeling proud of where they are working. Mm. Second thing, no unsuccessful organization can feel proud of itself. Success is a very important ingredient to make to instill pride. So therefore, one of the jobs of the management should not be just to create a good environment. Good environment is a fabulous thing to do. But good environment is not your goal. Your goal is success. And therefore, good environment and success is a great mix. But focus on success. That's the second thing. The third and the last thing I will say, and this is uh, something very deficient in the corporate. You see, in the army, we preserve stories and we talk about them mm -hmm. again and again. Every battalion has a battalion history, a war diary, a regimental history, a war museum, uh, a war memorial. We sit down in the mess in the bar and drink and we only talk about our past and what happened in the so-and-so fight or so-and-so operation or even on a normal day. So the army therefore is full of stories. It are these stories that continually give you that pride in the organization. Now the argument from the corporate sector can be, oh great, but the army is a permanent organization. We have employees who come and go. How does it work for us? No, even in the army, people move from unit to unit. The thing to do is, 
to develop a pride in whichever organization you are by building this bank of stories, by letting people know of the successes they've done in past. I have written some uh, fabulous, rather case studies of some fabulous examples of Anand Fashion Limited, where Mr. Jay Suresh, whom you quoted, was the MD of uh, a guy called Venkat Chalapati, a store manager called Govind Raj from Mega Marts in those days. Why are these stories not preserved in the corporate? Mm, Why are we not mm. talking about the success that we've had? Even if it's a success in getting a business or filling a tender correctly against time, these are stories. So let me summarize it. First of all, you, people should feel safe, which means you've got to provide them with great leadership. Second, you must succeed, which is a leadership responsibility to make sure that you craft a strategy which works. And thirdly, you must have a reservoir of stories that make you feel proud. So people say, I am from this battalion. You know, this battalion has never lost a battle. I'm not going to start. Things like that. <clears throat> Fantastic. So three yes that we are talking about. Safe, success and stories. Uh, yes, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Iraji, you also talk about, and, and there are a lot of stories. We will get into how you had all of these stories in writing the book. But one of the incidents that you narrate is that you are running in, in JNK, you are running towards you know a bomb that exploded and your barber is advising you at one point and you take that. Yeah. So what, so we, you already talked about leaders. Leaders have to create this environment, success and stories and all of that. But now let's go down into the team members level. <clears throat> what roles do the members of the team have in building a culture? Or, or sustaining the culture? Huge. Huge. First thing you must realize is that culture flows from top. Okay. So that is, there is mm -hmm. no getting away from that leadership part. Culture does not rise against gravity. Don't expect the doorman in your company to start changing the culture. It's got to be the MD. All right. Or it's got to be the guy who writes the checks. If it is a family owned business or a small business. So that is one. Then comes the team. The team does what they sense is working for them. If gossip is working for them, they will gossip. Mm. If going easy works for them, that's what they will do. If they get a sense that, no, this is not going to work in this company and we have to meet targets and we have to, you know, be aggressive and we have to go out and be innovative and all of that, we have to meet quality standards, that will become the culture. So the team is very important. But once again, if you see the shadow of the leadership is falling on the team, you go to a school if the principal is not much interested in standards, the teachers will sl slowly become sluggish. One odd, one odd star like Virat Kohli will keep performing, but others will you know, become slow because it works for them. So there is a team. In the army, we consider the whole team as very important and we particularly focus on the vulnerable elements. The strength of the chain de is dependent on the mm. weakest link, not on the strongest link. So even in the National Defense Academy, when you run cross country as a team, you don't focus on the fastest runner. He will reach. You always put some good runners behind the slowest runner to push him. Because unless he reaches, your team is not going to mm. reach and you're not going to win. Okay? So you focus on the, the, the junior most member of the team. You pay attention to them. And that is how you build the structure. Now let me get back to the story that you mentioned because it has <clears throat> that story has fascinated a lot of people. As you yes. might have noticed in this book, there are no stories relating to me. This is an outlier. And even this story is not about celebrating me. It's about celebrating uh, a barber. This story will tell you not only the fact that we listen to everyone, 
but how deep is the culture of the leadership in the army so this happened on the 4th of june 1997 we were going somewhere there was a big blast the militants had planted an improvised explosive device under the track it blew up one of my vehicles the the blast was so so loud and the explosive was so much that there was an 8 foot deep crater the vehicle went up above the eucalyptus trees took two turns in the air and crashed against the road it killed one major and two soldiers and one young lieutenant ravi loganathan and two soldiers were trapped inside the mangled steel and the militants started firing on the vehicle from about 200 meters to kill everybody else and you know and this young lieutenant somehow managed to wriggle out though he's bleeding and started firing back we heard the blast the whole district heard the blast and people said let's not go in the vehicles now let's run on the foot because there may be more ieds so that is the point which you related and we were running with our ak47s and i was a co i was a colonel and you see senior army officers colonels and above they wear something on their collar a red colored thing which kind of distinguishes them now this collar dog is not to be worn during operations it is to be worn only in peace stations because in in operation somebody will spot you and say oh he's the boss let's kill him first right so i was wearing it and the reason i was wearing it is because i was a brand new commanding officer i was a bride groom who had not changed his clothes i was just 10 days old and so this major running next to me said sir you're not supposed to be wearing this now they will spot you and they'll fire at you please take them off and i said i will but my mind was full of a million things and i didn't immediately take them off but 100 to 200 steps ahead this barber running on my left hand side his name was rupal army barber wearing a uniform carrying an ak47 stopped me and said sir he said it in hindi i'll say it in english he said can i talk to you i said sure he said you know this thing that you're wearing you're not supposed to wear it it's not a brave thing to do and it's not uh, you know not permitted and now somebody is going to shoot you and there is going to be chaos and we'll all be running helter skelter so i said yes i'm going to take it off he said no that's not my advice you should not have worn them but sir today indeed for the next 3 months please take don't take them off because you're a leader you're supposed to set an example and it shouldn't happen that people look at you and say oh my god two or three people die and our ceo gets scared he gets shaken you have to set an example so don't take them off that was his advice i think it's a brilliant brilliant advice coming from the lowest rung in the army and uh, to honor his advice i never took them off i didn't take them off for 3 years actually uh, so that is the story thank you thank you for that uh niraji you are also right leaders don't understand the difference between judgment omission and intention errors can we can we go deeper into it can we discuss that what do you mean by absolutely. that judgment omission and intention absolutely it's a i'm glad you really picked some uh, real nuggets because those are the things i really believe in so this in the corporate sector and i have two children who are in the corporate sector and their wives are in the corporate sector so i know and i've been of course ceo twice yes a lot of people find it very hard to correct mistakes of their subordinates they don't know whether they should go soft they should go hard whether they'll demoralize people people will run away what should they do one seminal problem is that we are looking at all mistakes with the same eyes we are not mm. judging not just the gravity of the mistake but what is the type of the mistake and i'll explain that what i mean so <clears throat> there was an incident a few years ago where in jammu and kashmir an offside 
a lady, uh, uh, not a lady, but a person, a Kashmiri, on the bonnet of his vehicle. And he, uh, what had happened is that he got information from CRPF that they were caught in a polling booth. People were pelting them with stones. They were going to die. So this officer landed with a team. He saw the crowd was very angry. So instead of firing into the crowd, which he was authorized to do, he instead used this methodology. He tied a Kashmiri to his bonnet and he drove through the crowd and he saved everybody. <clears throat> there was a very large outcry and people said, oh, look at Indian Army. They're treating Kashmiris badly. They're using people as human shields. The Army Chief General Bipin Rawat, who was a dear friend, went to Kashmir soon after and even while the inquiry was on, called the officer and pinned a medal on his chest. I know why he did it. He did it because he felt and I feel there are errors of judgment that take place every day in every organization. You as a team leader, as a manager, as a boss, give a task and the gentleman goes out and does the task. But when he comes back, you don't like the option he exercised. But he's done it with best intentions and as per your briefing. So that is an error of judgment. Errors of judgment are to be overlooked. They are even mm. to be celebrated. They are to be, people are to be told, okay, you made a mistake this time, but next time do it differently, but well done. You know why? Because when you start wrapping people on their knuckles for errors of judgment, everybody stops taking initiative. People say, oh, I will ask the boss. Let me ask the boss and then I'll do it because I'm not going to take a decision or if it goes wrong, I'm going to be caught. This is how companies are killing initiative in their companies. How vertical mm -hmm. skill initiative, right? The bosses don't take responsibility. They don't say, don't worry about it. It went wrong. I'll go to the MD and say, I'm responsible. Don't worry. Well done. You took a decision. Okay. So you have to decide. Do you want to rear rabbits in your company or do you want to rear tigers? If you want to rear tigers, if that is the environment you want to function in, then make people tigers. Tell them, don't worry. It mm -hmm. went wrong. Okay. You took a call, isn't it? I'm glad you took a call. The second error is error of omission or laziness, which is actually constitutes the largest portion of errors in the corporate sector or anywhere in the world, because human beings by nature will not want to be sluggish. Those errors are to be corrected. They are to be, people have to be rebriefed, they have to be taught, they have to be trained and they have to be warned. And if they still don't approve, they have to be let go. So that's the second. The third is an error of intention. When a person intentionally does something wrong, like letting down the company mm. or messing with a woman or messing with money and things like that, you need to take expeditious action against those people. The reason is errors of judgment, if you push back against them, will destroy initiative. Error of laziness, if you do nothing about it, you'll develop a bad culture. Errors of intention, if you let go, everybody else will start doing wrong things. The same officer who got that medal, next year, allegedly, was, you know, there was an allegation that he tried to take a woman in a, in a hotel, which is not, which is against orders, a local woman, right? He couldn't finally take it because the army came and told him not to do it. The army took a very strict disciplinary action. It was an error mm -hmm. of intention. Okay. So you differentiate between the three and that is how you build motivation and morale and correct people. <clears throat> Fantastic. Fantastic. On this particular culture, I want to ask uh, one final question is that there are always going to be suggestions that are going to come in. Now, these suggestions might be treated as disobedience or it could be treated as 
a greater good. Uh, let me give you an example. So let us say, for example, let's take the U.S. Army for example. There, the Sikhs are not allowed, have not been allowed to wear turbans. But I'm sure some Sikh went in and said, you know, this is my identity. I want to wear it. Now, this particular suggestion, they could view it as disobedience. They're not, they're not following the rules. Or they could say, oh, this is good. We should, we should actually be doing this and then they should be inclusive. So how do you s differentiate some of these suggestions that are coming in as whether they are disobedience or this is good for the culture and we should adapt it? H how can you think about it? Okay. I'm a great fan of feedback, right? I believe that mm. leaders must take feedback all the time because once you reach, once you are locked up in your cubicle, you get cut off from reality and the larger the company, the more easy it is to get off from reality. So the rule, the rule of thumb is, first of all, you must move around and consciously listen to people as to what they are saying. It doesn't matter what they say. It's not the tone or the manner or things like that which are, which are important. It is the content. What is he saying? The junior most mm. people in the company, for example, feel some things that they never are never able to air. Or mm. there are mavericks in a company who will say strange things. But there may be some truth in that. Why miss out on an advice? And I'll come to a very stunning example about the suggestion part. So that is the first thing. Do not take any suggestion amiss in the sense. Listen to everything that comes. The rule of the thumb that you need to teach your people is, do you want to make a controversial suggestion? or you want to make a strong worded suggestion, or you want to say something about me, you're most welcome so long as you do it in private. Do mm. not let this become a culture of speaking out in public. That is wrong. That is like mutiny. So you want to say something, come to my office, talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, I will listen to you. And at the end, I'll say, thank you very much. I'm going to think about this. Thank you for your advice. And off you go. Okay. But mm -hmm. absorb everything because many times, because of preconceived notions, leaders say, I'm successful. What is he talking about? I know what is to be done. It is never an act of disobedience to, to for a person to make a suggestion. A disobedience is when having given a ruling, when the leader says, okay, you can't wear turbans or you can wear turbans. And then somebody defies it. That is disobedience. Once the matter has been settled, then there's no discussion. Even in the army, before we go for operations, there is a lot of discussion. People get up and say, sorry, I don't agree with this plan. This plan doesn't, it will not work. They say it openly. Everyone listens to that. In the end, then the commander says, okay, this is the plan. After that, everyone shuts up. Not only that, if that plan goes wrong, nobody says, look, I told you so. No. Then it is owned as your plan. Once you've accepted mm. an order, see, either accept an order or walk out of the company. There is no third thing. So that is where the disobedience part lies. Now, I learned this lesson from a great general who received an anonymous letter, a very abusive letter about something which was going wrong in the, you know, in the area, in the unit. So this general called me. I was also a general by then. I was a major general. He was a lieutenant general. He called me and showed me the letter. I felt very bad because the letter was very abusive. It really had abuses in it. But the tragedy was the general to whom it was addressed had nothing to do with the problem. It was a tactical problem at some very lower level. It had nothing to do with the topmost level. So I said, I'm very sorry this happened, sir. I'm going to look into this and I'm going to try to find out who this joker is who's written you this letter. 
and we'll do some forensics and we'll catch him. He said, no, 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 don't waste time. That is not the point at all. All inputs are inputs. He said, please treat criticism and suggestions as a friend. Somebody took the courage and the effort to write a letter. I'm not bothered about the abuses. I only wanted to look into the inputs. Is this mm. really happening? Is he telling the truth? If he's telling the truth, let's fix the system. Because mm. nine out of 10 people will never give you a, you know, a critical advice. They'll tell the boss, oh, everything is going very well. So that one guy who's telling you the truth, take his advice. Let me end this by telling you that there was a book called Crisis in Command about the Vietnam War. <clears throat> it says in, in the US Army, possession of drugs, marijuana and other things was, a, was an offense. And yet by the time they lost the war, they discovered that a very large majority of US Army had been the user of drugs in Vietnam. Okay, And not a, nobody had been punished. Nobody had been punished. Nobody spoke, spoke about it. So the, the author said, our conclusion is all the people who were thrown out for insubordination, not thrown out, but who were not promoted, who were superseded, please get them back. Make them a core team to tell them how to improve the US Army. Because they were telling the truth. They were telling us the truth. We were not listening. So please don't, mm. nobody should take suggestion as an enemy. Look at the content. Sometimes look at the motivation or the intent of the person. Is he just playing for himself or is he playing for the company? And just listen to that and institute a rule. Please come, but do one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. Don't stand Wonderful. and start developing. A, don't play to the gallery, so to speak. Uh, to all my guests, I asked three rapid fire questions and I would like to ask them to you as well. The first I've one. I've already. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's the... What's the kindest thing someone has done for you? I think the kindest thing somebody has done for me, top of the head, top of the head, I think what the barber did to me. I think that was the kindest mm -hmm. thing. It was the most mm -hmm. one. It is takes courage to go out of your, your, you know, your safety zone to be the lowest rung and to tell your commanding officer how he is going to create an image of leadership. I think it takes mm. a great deal of kindness is not only what you do in a nice way. Kindness is also when you're building another human being or opening a window in another human being's thing. So top of the head, I'm sure there are a lot of people who have done very kind things for me. But top of the head, I would rate that as a very kind thing. Thank you, sir. Uh, this podcast is about leadership. In that sense, I'm sure coming from Army and writing this particular book, there's a quite a lot of things that are there. But what do you think is the best leadership quality and who has manifested it in your life? Okay. The only leadership quality that your audience needs to focus on, the only, you can ignore the entire laundry list, is that you can only lead by example. Hmm. You cannot lead in any other way. It's not easy, right? What does lead, leading by example mean to a person in the corporate sector? It means working harder than the people you command or you lead, being more competent than them, making them feel safe, taking responsibility and not throwing them under the bus. This is what means leading by example and being visible, very important, being visible. The day there is problem, the day there is a difficult situation in the office, you got to be with them. I remember I was CEO of a rural education society and we had a, you know, Independence Day or some celebration. 
So in the night, I walked around to see how the preparations were going. And I saw a bunch of uh, teachers and uh, students sitting on the floor making rangoli. And the time was already 11.30 or 12. And I walked up to them and I said, good job. So it will be ready by in the morning. They said, yes, sir. And then one of them said, you know, sir, there was a principal we had. We really miss him on days like this. I said, why? He said, sir, whenever there was a thing like this, even if he had to work all night, he would come, sit in a chair and just keep sitting close to us. He never interfered. He was not supervising. He was just showing us that if we are suffering, if we are working, he is going to share it. Okay. Mm. That is what people value more than anything else. Please, everybody look at your children. They will respect you, but they will only follow you with by example. They are just going to do namaskaram, touch your feet, do all of that. But example is what matters. So that's the only thing you got to worry about. In my life, <clears throat> there have been very many people who have set fantastic examples at uh, every cost. But I think if we were to take an iconic soldier, who's right now very much a flavor of the season, is General Sam Manikshaw. I have had the mm -hmm. uh, occasion of meeting Field Marshal Manikshaw, listening to him firsthand. And here is a man who set an example of everything he did. If you have a minute, let me just tell you a story which is not there yes. in the movie, which people have seen. <clears throat> Sam Manikshaw was a major and he was in Burma, Myanmar, in the Second World War, living in jungles. And he had he was commanding Sikh troops. He had one Sikh Jawan under him called Sohan Singh, who was six foot plus. But Manikshaw didn't treat him as a, didn't think he was a good soldier. So he did not recommend him for promotion. One day, the subedar of the company came to Manikshaw to the tent and said, Sir, there is a very bad thing happening. Sohan Singh is telling everyone that tonight he's going to kill you when you're sleeping using a pistol. So he said, call Sohan Singh. So Sohan was called and Sohan said, no, no, sir, it was a joke. How can I do that? You're God and all of that. So Manikshaw gave him one dhap and said, go away. <clears throat> In the evening when Sam came back after dinner, the subedar was again standing there. He said, sir, this guy is going and telling everyone, I made a fool of the company commander. I just fooled him. I am still going to kill him. So Sam said, bring him back. And he said, Sohan, here is my pistol. It's loaded. Tonight you will stand guard on my tent. You will guard my tent. And in the morning, you'll give me a hot cup of tea and a hot mug of water. And he slept. Later, people asked him, of course, nothing happened. And Sohan Singh became a complete lamb with the Manikshaw. So people asked Sam, weren't you scared? He said, of course, I was scared. I was so scared I didn't sleep a wink. I was scared all night. Everybody's scared. He said, every time there was a noise, I thought, oh, my time has come. But I'm a leader. I'm not supposed to show fear. I'm supposed to absorb. You see, this is a great lesson for the corporate. When a panic situation happens, anything happens, mm. the leader must stay calm by forcing himself to be calm. When that you do that, two things happen. One, your, your mind sends the right signals to your body. And you start feeling calm. You start feeling brave. Mm. And two, everybody around you becomes calm. Okay, your team becomes calm. Oh, everything is all right. Boss will take care. What, what we do is exact opposite. We throw a fit and we say, <clears throat> now you take charge. I am going somewhere. MD will talk to you. Okay. That example of Sam is just one of the million examples of what leadership he showed. And I think he's a, he's, he's a really an example I can talk about. Thank you. Thank you for sharing his example. Finally, what's the definition of living a good life? Living a good life is when you start giving meaning to your life, when you lead a purposeful mm -hmm. life. 
that is fulfilling life. There's a book called A Man's Search for Meaning by Eric Fromm. He was a, a person who was in the Nazi, you know, concentration camps. And he went through a lot of privation. When he came out, he said, I wonder what is the meaning of life? And the answer he came to is, life will not tell you what is the meaning. You have to give meaning to whatever you're doing. Whatever you're doing, give meaning to that. Get immersed in that. And that is what is going to give you purposefulness. That's what will give you fulfillment. People ask me today, you're 65. You've been retired seven years. You work every single day. What is it? Is it money? No, of course it is not money. If I stop working today, I'm fine. I'm fine for the rest of my life, whatever time I live. But it is a sense of purpose you have. It mm. is exactly what you are doing with this podcast. It's a, you, it gives you a sense of purpose. I'm sure it's not a commercial thing that you're making some tons of money or you're making any money at all. It's a purposeful thing. So what we are doing right now, passing on the messages to the world, is giving purpose also to our own lives. And that is the number one reason and the number one fulfillment. And that is what is living a great life. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you, sir. Thank you for taking the time. I know you are busy. I know you are also traveling and you are promoting the book. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your insights with me and with my audiences. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joseph. It's been a great pleasure and a great honor. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Can I request you to share the key takeaways from our conversation? If you like the conversation, please share the podcast with all the others. Have a life of wins.